Growth Pod is brought to you by Genero, a leading growth agency in the Nordics. We interview marketing experts, business leaders, and entrepreneurs to uncover the stories and strategies behind profitable growth. Today's guest is Ansi Mäkelä, the chief marketing officer at Polar. Polar is a Finnish brand known around the world for its cutting-edge heart rate, heart rate tracking capabilities that include watches, sensors, and services. Welcome to the show, Ansi. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Exciting. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Actually, this is my first podcast that I ever done. So, right, welcome. Thank you. It's gonna be. I'm sure it's gonna be a great one. I'm pretty sure. So, Polar is a very exciting brand. So, we definitely want to talk about that. But, but first, to kind of go into something that we've been talking about a little bit off air, which is this, um, shall we call it traditional agency model and how agencies work with clients. You've had a, a lot of experience in your previous jobs and about seeing how big brands are using these kind of agencies and and you've seen some limitations with that. So I'd be curious to kind of hear about your thoughts on the limitations of, well, first of all, if you could describe the model, the limitations with it, and then talk about what you've done at Polar, which is uh, kind of implementing a new um, kind of hybrid hybrid model. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over the years, um, working with many big and small agencies, um, the challenge always comes from, from. I'm not saying it's necessarily a challenge, but but you have to always brief the agency, right? So you brief the agency, and then they are going to go into their room and and discuss, and you have the strategist, the creative director, and and who else is is basically sitting in the room and thinking about how to respond to that that brief, right? And the client is not involved at all, and and usually it tends down come back to the point that they're going to come with their presentation or pitch or or whatnot to show like this is our big idea this is the concept that we've been thinking to solve your business challenges or problems and but the client is not in the room right so it's not a collaborative model at all Mm. Um, and also it comes down to also the fact that uh, after everything is signed off great you know this is the concept that we want to move forward with and hoping that it actually answers the the problem um, that you're you're trying to solve, it comes down to the scope of work. And when it comes down to the scope of work, it's always like, okay, you're gonna get this, 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 and this, and that, right? And then the project starts moving forward, and you start actually producing, creating all the all the content and assets and and strategies and so on. Then something comes up, right? And another idea, and another direction. Then the agency is not willing to make those changes or adapt the concept because of that would mean extra work. And then that basically means that they're going to come back to you and say, okay, yeah, great, we can do that, but it's going to cost you this much. So in terms of um, this sort of what I keep on saying is this traditional agency models are dead, uh, is that they need to evolve to something else. And I think that trend is just going to be increasing over the years and moving forward. I don't believe that that this is really sustainable in the long run. But also, I think it also requires a lot from the client side. It doesn't always mean that there's a lot of companies that are able to do what we're doing at the moment. It requires also that you have the right kind of people and talent in-house to some extent in in order to actually execute on, on what I think is sort of this hybrid model that I I'm 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 talking about. And uh, you mentioned you have to kind of build that in-house team. And 
you started doing that when you kind of started at Polar. But I'd be curious to know, because I feel like one thing that is keeping companies back is this lack of confidence, right? The agencies are the big creative geniuses. They work yeah. with so many brands. They have the big ideas. And we, like the client side, the people working at the client side, are just uh, lowly workers who just, we don't really know how, how the big world works and so on. So how did you have that confidence to say that, no, actually, we know we can do this maybe not completely ourselves, but a large part of it, we can do ourselves. Yeah. It also relates back to understanding the business, understanding the company, what it actually does. And and yeah, you know, obviously you need some creative people that has some ideas and can execute, right? So a lot of the times, like you said, it's on the agency side, um, but having those talent in-house is, is is sort of important and you never get a, a, a client uh, director or strategist or or the creative director on the agency side to fully understand the business landscape and and where the company is heading and the, the sort of future future vision it, they never like when you create the brief and you try to give as much as insights and mm-hmm. and and stats and whatnot so they can build their concepts they will never ever understand the company inside out. They don't understand the products. Like you have so limited time of explaining the products, the campaigns, the strategies, the, and so on. So it never will have that sort of in-house information. So absolutely, you need in-house, you need people that are creative. I, I consider myself, I get excited about new ideas and concepts and, and and obviously trying to build the team around that sort of same mentality that everybody who has an idea can bring it up and, and it basically start building from there. But then of course you need sort of a, also on the, the agency side, you need people to support that then. So that's where it comes really handy. They, some some would may, maybe argue that you know once you're in house you keep on doing the same thing over and over again that's always the challenge so you have to be aware of that but also at the same time you need sort of somebody coming outside a little bit poke you to mm-hmm. be that having that sort of creativity creative flowing in so i think yeah i mean yeah you're right it's uh it's not as easy as it's uh is said but i think we've done significant improvements into that and it's a it's a constant uh, sort of uh, improvement of the process yeah i think i, res- I respect that because i think it takes a lot more guts to um to bring it all in-house because then you are accountable i think there's for a brand yeah. manager cmo there's always a ten or temptation to just be like i'm just going to hire this award-winning agency yeah and i'll just kind of like wash my you know, oh hands. awards my favorite topic I, that's actually that's nice you, you brought it up <laughs> i was actually thinking about it yesterday and and why are you sorry this is so funny right so the awards what, why would why does it matter? So I, I always categorize agencies into two different categories. One being the ones that actually wants to do a good, a good mm. job for the client. The other ones are the ones who want to make money. Mm. Why these great awards and, you know, uh, Can Lions or Webby Awards or whatever, right? Like, why does it matter to the client? Mm. Why, why does it matter? Isn't that just like... Uh, boosting the ego for the agency so they can sell their services to the other look at these awards that we want. I mean, that's sort of a um, <laughs> kind of a funny, funny uh, topic that I, mm. I always wonder is like, why, why does this matter? Yeah, it doesn't matter to the client. It's like end of the day, we look at how, how well, how well we're selling the products or how well the campaigns are successful and so forth. That's uh, 
you know, what matters end of the day. Yeah. But do you find that that's actually um, kind of the minority um, CMOs or, or brand managers who actually are mostly focused on the business and the sales of the product, as opposed to the creativity of the campaigns, the all the kind of brand metrics? Do you find that's actually a rarity, like you are in the minority? Uh, uh, yeah, good question. I, I don't know uh, about what others, but ob obviously, you know, uh, from our point of view, we look at uh, we look at a lot of different metrics that uh, maybe uh, too much. Some of them are for sure like vanity metrics mm. and so on, but they're good indications to to some extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I might be in a minority. Uh, maybe maybe you're right. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> um, you mentioned um, that at uh, at Polar you built this um, kind of. The hybrid model and a, a part of that is having freelancers or network of freelancers who are specialized yeah. in specific whether it's 3d modeling or like some something else so and that allows you to very uh, you know agility and cost effectiveness when it comes to producing assets yeah. can you talk about the role of having that you know ability to create a lot of assets quickly um in 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 your success when it yeah. comes to marketing again it, just to preface because i feel like um, there's still a lot, well, not still, but there's a, there's a, there are people who, who feel that, you know, what you need is the big idea, the big yeah. campaign. And would you agree with that? Or do you think that, yeah, what, what's the role of volume? Yeah. I mean, volume is important. Uh, I'm not saying that you need to like quantity over quality, but I mean, uh, I sort of, they go hand in hand. Um, um, yeah, I mean. Of course, the volume and in order to do that, and again, going back a bit to the problem with working with the agencies where you're limited to, to the X amount of, of assets and then you're basically, basically married to that, right? So the way that we do things is, is um, we obviously look at, we, we're not limited by, um, by the number of assets. Uh, we're not limited by the type of talent that we're tied into some production company or uh, uh, some sort of um, CGI or 3D guy or whatever. Um, what we do is is we once we create the concept, right, we know uh, you still need a, some sort of concept idea, right? And that's always tailored to, towards the product and the, the segment and the target audience and so on. And then you start to sort of formalize in terms of you know, what is the narrative, how you break it down, what is the messaging, you create a clear sort of framework for that. And once you have that framework in place, then you understand, okay, I need to produce this and this and that, right? So what we're trying to do is that we frame the narrative, the story, the storyline, the messaging and everything. And I don't believe it's like one message that mm. is like you have that big, you know, one tagline, mm. so to say, right? So. Um, People don't, it's like one size doesn't fit all. So one message might resonate with you, but it doesn't resonate with me. So you have to be able to sort of tailor the message into different types of audiences. So that also means that once you sort of tailor your messaging to the different audiences, that also means that you need more assets. Mm -hmm. So you can't just go with one single tagline approach then and hope that everybody will will love it right so you you have to find these ways of talking about the, the campaigns or the products and so on or the, even the brand right so you have to find the audience the the messages the creatives the formats that will actually work for that audience and with this model that we have now is that every time we get a get into a, a new project we 
create that framework. We know exactly what we want to say. And then we start looking at, okay, who do we need? Okay, do we need a photographer? Do we need a filmmaker? Do we need a CGI guy? And we might go to, uh, through our partner or ourselves, we might do research ourselves. We look at Behance. It's a great pool of talented people. So we're not tied into agencies. Let's say if you look at this from a traditional agency, they have their network of production companies and they do these massive productions, right? And you you basically pay a premium for them to in order to facilitate mm -hmm. that production. So we cut that out and we go straight to the source. Mm -hmm. So we find the talent ourselves and then we just contact them and say, hey, you know what? It would be cool to do this thing with you. And that's why this is, this is exactly the way that we, for example, found a brilliant CGI or 3D guy that is basically working through the agency, but working for us. Uh, again, migrated or integrated into our processes and, and, and you get the fraction of the price. You don't pay the finished premium, I'm sorry to say, but you know, the price matters. So you find talented people that are super talented. They might be all over, all over the place, so to say. It doesn't matter where you live. If you're talented and you know what you're doing, you know, you might be working with us. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting because it's not like you've cut out the agencies or, or whatever freelancer and brought everything in house, but you've made sure that you're not reliant on a single source to give you kind of, you actually have contract contact with everyone that you need to work with. Yeah, no, not directly. It depends on the case by case, really. Yeah. Like sometimes we work with directly with some photographers, for example, it really is a case by case, but most of the time we go through through the agency because mm. it's, it's just much much easier that way mm. and they are obviously well connected and they know uh, they well they do the same research look at behance or or whatnot or know somebody else that is specialized on some certain area so yeah we don't mind where you're from as long as you're superstar yeah that's a good that's a good approach to have especially c considering that you are a global brand and so it's it's not a yeah you have to you have to look look everywhere for the best talent. Um, you mentioned messaging. Polar was historically a very engineering driven company in terms of both product development but also brand and messaging. And in the last couple of years, you made this pivot uh, in your messaging to be much more consumer oriented. And yeah, well, could you talk about that? Like, what yeah. was the insight and what's been the process of changing? So obviously, working working uh, working in different companies and 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 sort of looking at the way that you present and tell the story about a product. Um, when I joined around three years ago, uh, I started looking at, you know, I looked after the website from a, let's say from a design and UI and UX point of view. And I look at the messaging uh, sort of frameworks that we have. And I, I sort of quickly noticed then that the, the way that the products are presented, I mean, the factually, yes, they're correct. And, mm. and but it's very sort of, I mean, mean, might be a bit of this sort of Finnish culture thing as, as well, but very sort of um, hard to understand. Uh, so one of the things that I really wanted to quickly move into fixing is looking at the way that we talk about the products and, and talking about the products in a way that I always say like a child can understand. So that was a, a sort of a massive leap in, in forward trying to, first of all, f having that talent in-house was fundamental, right? So making sure that we have a person who, who gets the products can translate that, let's say, engineer text into something that everybody can understand. So we have invested a lot of a uh, lot into the, the sort of storytelling and narration so mm -hmm. that that these, these when we talk about very technical things, 
it's super easy to, to understand. So that that was kind of a, a massive leap forward. And, and I'm not saying that we're perfect by no means, but mm. I think we have made a massive steps forward in terms of creating that content, especially for the website, even for the ads and everything so that they are easy to approach and easy to understand because the end of the day, that's ammunition for, for us in terms of generating word of mouth and get people talking about it. If you know and can explain the product to your friend, isn't that easier than you're like, I'm not sure how do I explain what the benefits are. Yeah. So super important. Yeah. So, so what would you say is the big picture kind of narrative about Polar and what you're trying to do um, and how you kind of, how does that differ from a Whoop or an Aura or someone, someone else? Oh, wow. Um, really don't. <laughs> I mean, we benchmark everyone in terms of what, what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we try to focus on our thing and the way that we want to do things instead of just looking at what everybody else is doing. I think that's also important. Like, not like I don't want to waste too much time on sort of uh, looking at what the competitors and their mm -hmm. messaging and trying to sort of learn something, uh, learn something from there. But I mean, um, yeah, I mean, in generally speaking, I think it's fundamental that, uh, again, the way that you talk about the product is very clear. Mm. Uh, it needs to be uh, approachable. It needs to be emotional. It needs to be also rational, right? So you have to create uh, things that has so sort of those both aspects. So I think that's sort of where the focus has been, mm. not directly answering sort of, you know, um, what you're asking here, but I think, you know, that's the way that we approach it. Got it. And did you go into, because you mentioned you have to have different messages to different segments or, or audiences. Did you go into that? Um, did you kind of do that exercise of being like, no, these are the types of users that we're going to go after? Or, or is that more so, are you more so taking a broad approach? Um, and and yeah, we, yeah, how do you think? Sort of a case by case, product by product. I mean, depends on um, the product and the segment. And, and, and I think you sort of said, um, we're walking in here, you're like, you know, the, you know what, what is your sort of, you know, some competitors are mm -hmm. doing this and that. But I said, you know, uh, we're coming from a very sort of sports oriented world. And that's been our sort of uh, the main priority. And I think that's something that we're going to keep on doing. But of course, you have a variety of different types of people in different segments. You know, you have the super athletes to going into, let's say, these sort of uh, techie, uh, techie sports uh, fanatics, uh, so to say. And then you start going lower and lower in terms of the different segments, in terms of just like somebody who wants to be active. Well, of course, you'd have to you have to sort of tailor your message towards those audiences. But again, it's tied into the product where the product is sort of segmented or where it stands in terms of the segmentation. And then you start to tailor the message so it resonates. But then when you look at that from a broader point of view, let's say from a let's say uh, from the side point of view, then that needs to be much broader, right? So you have to be able to educate people in terms of what the right products are for them. So you have to sort of look that. But especially from a let's say from a product campaign point of view, that's very much tailored to that specific audience, and the message messaging needs to resonate to that audience. But then again, on the side, it's more broader as such. So yeah. we look at the messaging there as much, much wider. Yeah. Um, question about branding and, and how you think about the brand you're, I, I'm guessing, selling all over the world. And uh, in Finland, you know, it's a bit easier. Finland, Finns know Polar, we trust them. But um, when you think about, how do you think about establishing the credibility? Because ultimately, 
people have to trust that they're spending money on this device, that it will give them superior something, performance, however you want to define that, whether it's accuracy or, or some kind of data. So how do you think about establishing that credibility so that customers will pay for a Polar device over some competitor? Somebody else. <clears throat> I always love uh, quoting Simon Sinek on this one. You start with the why, right? Mm. So uh, over the couple of last year, we have also been defining a bit of sort of crystallizing the sort of brand uh, sort of uh, vision, mission, and 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 also the why, why we do what we do. I think that sort of uh, uh, is fundamental to have very precise, then that should resonate to the audience. Obviously, it's not necessarily something you know, like a campaign that you, you talk about, but it's all about how that then uh, resonates throughout the different campaigns and activations you do. So that's sort of the, the heart that is always there. So we have uh, invested a lot of our time to sort of crystallizing, crystallizing that. So I think that's sort of a, one of the main things that, that we've been gradually now rolling out uh, so that we we have that reason to believe into that brand. And that's something that we've been sort of, uh, yeah, doing over the couple of, let's say, last year or so. Yeah. So, I mean, that fundamentally for me is is the, the one that builds the brand love and mm. and sort of uh, the reason to believe and why would you choose Polar or somebody else um, if you have a clear clear sort of idea of that so mm, got it uh, and what do you think what what role given the sports background of the of the brand what role do you think uh whether it's partnerships with athletes or or influencers or sponsorships of you know whatever it's competitions or, or leagues like what role do you think those kind of tactics as opposed to like the just the yeah just like building that connection with established authority in in, in your kind of realm how do you think about that versus just like communicating about the product and and and, and your your mission? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, totally makes sense. Um, yeah, we work with with athletes and ambassadors and influencers and and creators. I think those are. I mean, if you look at the media landscape right now, um, how do you get in the front of the people? Uh, it's quite fascinating in terms mm. of like you have three seconds right mm. yeah three seconds to capture the audience so how do you do that can you do that as a brand or you need somebody else to talk about you mm. i'm not a big believer of just like logo placements and so on but you know going from a sort of a value creation and added value point of view how do you get somebody on board regardless of the athlete or or influencer that we can actually bring something to that how can we help that person how we can improve that person's you know well-being or or um or life or or uh performance i mean i think that's where it gets interesting and and we we have sort of the science to prove that i think that sort of a value creation is is fundamental there um but yeah i mean we work with different athletes uh, and and influencers and so on. I think that's, like I said, I think it's so hard for the brand uh, to tell the story than getting somebody else to tell your story. And that's why I think that's sort of a, it's an interesting venue uh, that we are sort of looking into um, more and more and how we can do that and build sort of the engine uh, behind that. I think that's kind of an interesting area. Um, like said, we we do our social communication and we do our, our stuff, right? But then 
how that gets captured, it's so much harder than getting somebody else to talk about you. So, but again, it, it needs to sort of add value. Got it. But you're always, exactly. So you're always, it's not just about logo placement, getting someone to show up with a polar. It's always focused on what the product does for them to help yeah. them achieve. Whatever. Absolutely. And, and it, I, I think those, those type of partnerships are, um, are important that it's not like just the logo placement or it needs to somehow we need to be aligned with our sort of ambitions both ends right so that it actually brings hmm. brings something else than just the logo and and that's it right so when we're on the topic of brand um how do you incorporate and think about your finnish heritage because obviously finland has some reputation around the world um and you know beautiful nature very honest people hardworking. i'm i'm just i mean oh, yeah. i'm speculating i think this is how <laughs> definitely the world thinks about us so yeah. how do you think about that because I, I i mean this is a kind of a, a question that all finnish brands and swedish brands too we have a lot of swedish listeners think about how should they i hope they're thinking about it how should they use that heritage when they're trying to think internationally like, yeah how do you think about that Sort of been thinking about that a, a bit of the the last days because I knew knew you were gonna be be asking this. Um, um, I, you know, if we look at if we let's 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 pretend for a second. If we would be all about the Finland and the Finnish nature and all, all that, it wouldn't necessarily resonate in Brazil or some some other countries. They're like, I don't get that at all. Um, but that being said, it doesn't mean that we don't do that. We do a lot of, we want to build on that sort of, I think you brought a few nice keywords, you know, trust, the uh, trust is important. I think the, in generally speaking, the, the Finnish brands are very trusted. Uh, and also um, very practically speaking, how we're bringing that to, to life is also from a visual point of view, but we don't necessarily look at that from a, let's say from a, only from a Finland point of view, but more from the Nordics, uh, Nordics point of view and trying to bring that sort of aspiration and inspiration of our environment and our playgrounds here. And I think you will start to see more and more of that from us from a, let's say from a visual standpoint, but absolutely the heritage with where we're coming from as a brand, it's, it's a big story. It's, it's a fascinating, fascinating story, uh, all by itself. And, and I think we, we want to build on that, uh, build on that trust, uh, build on that accuracy, build on that. It's, it's all part of our communication. But I don't think necessarily that if we would be just entirely focusing that, it, it would resonate uh, mm. sort of around the world. <clears throat> but it needs to be aspirational and inspirational. Mm. That's interesting. Um, you mentioned story and, and, and previously you talked about narrative. And so I want to go back to that because I, I, I personally find that really interesting. And I, I'm a big believer in the power of narrative. Like if you can craft a really good narrative, then it makes helps kind of put everything into perspective. And so did I understand correctly that when you're kind of thinking about, a, let's say you're launching a new product, um, the first thing you will do is kind of create a narrative about, okay, what is this product? Who is it for? What does it do? And then from that, you can draw you know, you'll figure out, okay, we need these assets or we need to work with this person. Does that, is that kind of describe our process or how, what yeah, role does narrative absolutely. play? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, you, you can think of this as, uh, you know, the Amazon sort of backwards thinking mm -hmm. of like, you know, creating the press release and the FAQs and so on. Right. But, sorry, right. can you, can you explain that? Cause I don't think people are familiar with the Amazon. Backwards. Like, yeah, yeah. The process. So, uh, 
so basically, Amazon has been working on sort of this, it's called backwards thinking, and there's a full book about that. So please feel free to, to find that from Google or Amazon. Um, <laughs> Basically, the sim like let's put it into very plain English. It's basically you start the project on writing a press release. That's the simplest way of doing it. So how you imagine sort of uh, bringing this product to life and how you would l uh, launch it, and you basically start from that. But we don't just do that. That's one great aspect to to kick it off. But it's not just that. I think what you need to do and what we're doing sort of is building that framework. So we we have like this a massive workshop where we invite everybody to join. And then we start looking at, you know, the, the insights, the data, the uh, this audience, the, the goals and everything. And it's in one big canvas. And when you start to sort of narrow down through conversation, you know, what is important for this product, asking really hard questions. And then basically that translates into a wireframe or a structure of information, how you want to talk about this product. And throughout that sort of wireframe, then that becomes more visual and more visual and more visual. And then you start to have some sort of sketches in terms of how that should be looking like from a visual standpoint, the key messages, the punchlines, the, the segments, the sort of everything is, is in that framework. And then it's much easier to take that sort of press release FAQs the framework, and then you start looking at, okay, what do we need to, do we need a film? Do we need an animation? Do we need pictures? What kind of pictures we need? What kind of color world it is? What's the color palette? And everything is being defined throughout that process. And then, then you basically, after that, you're like, all right, this is great. We love it. We're going to go with this. And then you start moving into production and, and finding the talent to do the different things. So that's uh, that's basically how how we roll. Okay, and uh, w in terms of agility, you know, let's say someone comes up, uh, someone on your team comes up with this many times, many times, many, many, many times throughout the process. So we might change the direction fifty times, which is okay. great, right? Mm. Because sometimes it's like once you start working on and, and structuring that. An idea comes like, oh shit, you know, can I switch? Yeah, <laughs> It's like, oh man, that's a great idea. We should look into that. Mm -hmm. And and something else might come out from that. And that uh, that really is the agility that wouldn't work with the traditional agency model because we're all working together. And, and uh, when that idea comes, it's like, I, oh, every time I get super excited when there's a new direction or an idea, it's like, okay, let's look into that and let's l start looking at it if we can actually execute on that. So yeah, absolutely. That sort of creative environment is, is fundamental to make this work. Mm -hmm and have that agility and option to go ahead on, on something that you saw, oh my, that might be super cool. So absolutely, this this sort of framework really helps on, on that sort of coming up with new ideas and concepts on, on the go. And maybe even last minute, we might mm -hmm. have another direction that we, we will look into if we can actually execute on that. Sometimes yeah. I'm the party pooper, so I'm like, you know, time is clicking. Sorry, we don't have time to do yeah. that. Like, great idea. Let's save that for the next one. So sometimes I'm the party pooper. Yeah, so I'm, well, you, know, <laughs> you can do everything, but it's, it sounds like you have a really, um, there's, a, there's a great creative freedom. Um, and, and which I think is absolutely great. One thing that I'd love to ask about, just because it, it's 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 been on my mind. Um, I, I saw on Twitter this. I don't know if you've seen it, but in Las Vegas they have this new arena, the Globe. It's like a big giant ball. Have you seen it? No, no. Um, and it's full with cameras, both inside and outside. So you can buy, you can 
place actually like um enter- uh, sorry advertising the entire uh, arena is 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 can oh, be cool. turned into a display and uh, I think it costs like something like six hundred thousand dollars or something to run for a week or maybe it was a day but um that just got me thinking like because you mentioned that to, in today's day and age it's really hard to reach people even if you have a great product you have a great message everything is kind of you got your ducks in a, in a row it's still so hard because people are busy and ultimately they don't really care so the yeah, question you have is three seconds three seconds which is you know <laughs> it's not a lot of time um <laughs> So how do you think about, or are you thinking about, like, what are some creative, interesting, different ways to reach people? Like, are you thinking lo- lo- along those terms, not just about what's the content, what's the narrative, but also what's the channel, what's the mechanism yeah. uh, through which we get people? Like, are you are you thinking about any anything like that? And are you seeing anything kind of interesting um, in terms of innovative, say, Well, if we want to go into innovative and and sort of where the world is heading is is sort of generative AI and and what AI is bringing, I think that's as as a venue is quite an interesting aspect. Um, But in terms of uh, maximizing reach and doing like, let's say, like Super Bowl, obviously, that's uh, (laughs) that's a great example of of like if you want to reach a lot of people, but then whether that then converts or whatnot, Builds the brand, share voice, yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's not easy. It's a noisy world, right? So you have to be clever in terms of where you invest your money so that it, it adds either, you know, the brand recognition or or brings you revenue or whatnot. You know, obviously these are important things, but yeah, it's not an easy game. I think the way that we approach it is is obviously we look at the funnel. We look at the the upper part. It's it's all about sort of the emotional attracting the person to be interested in the brand and try, start sort of driving that person into into your venues and your site and so on. And then how do you you go into that rational aspect and rationalizing the reason to purchase something? And then you sort of move into the loyalty aspects and then you start looking at emotions again. How you recommend the product to another person, right? So we try to look at the channels from from that point of view and the different tactics um, from a sort of a reach point of view. I think we have invested over the years quite a lot and we've been I'm not saying super successful, but we are successful in terms of our blog, for example. Hmm. Um, we have an authority there. We have an authority to talk about certain topics and aspects. Right. So we are investing a lot in our time and efforts into to getting that organic traffic. And, and it's not just, you know, on, on searching for the products, but searching for the brand and topics that people are interested in. Actually, a great example, which we did during the COVID, um, was that we, we got an idea, right? So it's like, okay, so people are now, you know, being sick and COVID and whatnot, right? So um, we're like, okay, let's see. Like people are probably thinking about how they can actually start training again. Mm-hmm after after covid so we made an article on like you know post covid exercise tips and we gave that sort of piece of information and that's where you know it gets interesting is like when people are searching for that and guess what you know we rank pretty well we have the authority on this topic like this and so i mean these are sort of uh, more more the tactics that we are we're mm-hmm. looking at um and so those are sort of a fascinating fascinating um areas uh, but then again i think uh, what we sort of earlier talk about sort of influencers and 
And I'm not even talking about influencers, you know, those who are like, here's the product. And then you're like, mm. look at this from Polar. Mm. Yeah, great. That's fine. But then it's more about how do you get people to talk about the benefits? Uh, and I think that sort of a creator idea that, you know, you have great filmmakers, you have great photographers, you have all these different types of uh, talent that somebody might be doing some stupid video. And I'm not actually saying stupid videos, but doing you know, behind the scenes, how to make a beautiful product photography, for example. It just can be a, a social content creator. So how do you partner with people like that in order to create some interesting pieces of content? Because end of the day, it's all about entertainment, right? So, and as a brand, it's so hard to do that yourself. You have to look into other, other sort of talented people that are doing that as their business now. So. How do you scale that? That's where I think it's kind of an interesting area of looking into how do you scale something like that? So it's not enough that you do just like, you know, one hit wonder, it doesn't work like that. So how do you do that in a larger scale and get a lot of talented people to do things for you? That's where where I'm fascinated and interested in sort of uh, looking into. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities there, but it needs to be you can do it, like you said, if you can do it quite um, in a crass, very crude way, we just mm. let's just get the product out and let's look at the impressions it gets. And that's not necessarily how you build the brand, right? No, absolutely not. So I, uh, we're pretty much, unfortunately, all uh, out of time. But um, I'd be curious to learn for the people such as myself who don't have a Polar watch or product yet. Is there anything in your product portfolio that you recommend as like a... Oh, a little advertisement little in the advertisement. end. advertisement. You know what? Um, so I, I've been sort of using this, and, and w which is uh, always, you know, with people are like bipolar, right? Um, that's a, a common question. And, and then I answer, answer that in a way that, um, you know, it's so easy, uh, let's say easy, to create a product that captures data. It's a sensor, right? So it captures your movement, it captures everything, it captures heart rate. But then once you get that data, it's like, how do you translate that into something meaningful? And that's super hard. So I think, you know, we have invested as a company over the years so much into the sort of science and the research and understanding how the human body works is that we we actually has done more studies and research than any of the other companies all combined together so that's where it gets interesting if you if you're curious about translating that data into something meaningful for you polar might be a good choice for you so i mean we we are very sort of um very proud and very very sort of fixated about the accuracy mm. and the data and translating that into something personalized and meaningful that, to individuals. I mean, we do have different product segments, of course, like for the sports, the, the ones that who wants to train and improve their 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 overall sort of performance and then you still get into a lower tier in a sense of, of just somebody who wants to be active. I think we offer a lot of great capabilities in terms of sort of the variety of the different segments and audiences. So, I mean, it really depends on who you are and mm -hmm. what you want to do, right? So if you're an outdoor enthusiast, you know, you want some capabilities according to that, or you're just, uh, you know, doing marathons, we have products for that. I mean, really depends on, on what you want to do. But 
yeah, I think in generally speaking, it's all comes down into translating that data into something meaningful is super fundamental. Uh, I've been probably saying fundamental too many times, but uh, yeah, I think it's important that the data that you look at the numbers and the figures and charge, yeah, great, but making sure that that's accurate. I think that sort of differentiates us a, a little bit from from the other 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 competitors. I think that's a really compelling pitch. Actually, I need to go. I need to go and look at at, at the study of the product portfolio a bit yeah. more closely. Um, honestly, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. For people who want to follow you, um, obviously we'll link to Polar and your website. But for people who want to follow you personally, and are you on active on LinkedIn? Is that LinkedIn? Right? You can find me on LinkedIn or or Instagram. Both. LinkedIn or Instagram. Okay, we'll put uh, we'll put both of the yep. links in the show notes. Sounds Once again, good. thank right. you so much. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. You can find all episodes of the Growth Pod on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts.